HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Shoebox. Save time on data entry and get back to the business you love. For more information, visit shoebox.com. That's C-H-O-U-X-B-O-X.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, January 18th, 2017. This is the 129th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a who's who of food and beverage and a new fellow Heritage Radio host, and I will fully introduce her in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to cross-promote. Find ways to gain exposure for your business or platform by working with similar and respected brands. By teaming up with those who share your vision and audience, you can create more awareness for yourself as well as the other party. Cross-promotion can mean double impact and benefits. So align yourself with like-minded parties. That's my tip today. Now for my regular listeners, there's been a little change up. So Allison Arth of Salt and Row is now going to be my guest next week. And today I am super thrilled to have Dana Cowan in the studio with me. Dana is the creative director at Chef's Club International, overseeing culinary curation and visiting chef events for this innovative restaurant group with locations in Aspen and New York City. Prior to Chef's Club, she was the editor-in-chief of Food & Wine magazine for over 20 years. In 2012, Dana was inducted into James Beard Foundation's Who's Who of Food & Beverage in America, 
And she recently launched a new show on Heritage Radio Network called Speaking Broadly, where she conducts intimate interviews with brilliant, powerful women in the food world about their lives and careers. So welcome, Dana. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to be on in this chair, the guest chair. I know. Now that I'm getting familiar with the host chair, it's I know. Reversal. I know. I don't. It's. It's. I've been on another show, and not sitting in the host chair is can be a little. Um, I don't know. It's a different feel, but you look very comfortable over there. So. I'm very happy. And then you'll be back here on your show, <laughs> hosting, which is so cool. I'm so glad you're now a part of Heritage Radio, doing your own show. It's awesome. It's such a great family, and such a great radio network, and such a great opportunity to talk to interesting people and share their stories. Yeah, no, it is. So we'll we'll get to. I want to hear more about your show, but I like starting out with people's backgrounds because I met you when you were with Food and Wine Magazine, which you were with for a long time. But how did how did you get there? What was your your route um, in publishing? I am the luckiest person on earth because since I was about six years old, I wanted to do something with words. I always I wanted to be a poet. I wanted to be a writer, and then when I went to college. Uh, my first internship was at a magazine, and I wanted to work at a magazine. So since I graduated from college, uh, I have worked in the media world until last year. And so my trajectory was getting a job at Vogue magazine as the number three assistant to a features editor. And That's cool. I was, it was a great, great job. My connection to food there was that I would lay out the lunch for the editor. His name was Leo Lerman, and his partner would come and bring lunch. That would be only if Mr. Lerman wasn't eating at the Four Seasons or another extraordinary restaurant. And I would, you know, put the pickles to one side, and I would put a sandwich in the middle and lay a very nice (laughs) nice (laughs) lunch for him. Um, But I also met the entire world of people who he knew, which included all the movie stars, um, because he had been involved in theater and the movies for decades. So I started at Vogue, and then I went to House and Garden magazine, and I became the managing editor there, which meant that I was in charge of people, production, and money, which makes the food and wine crew laugh because the idea of me being involved in people production and money and not words and pictures and strategy strikes them as funny and I got and then House and Garden folded and I went to Mademoiselle magazine which was about zit states and boys not really my topic (laughs) I loved fashion I loved houses um, I love boys, but I didn't like the estates part of it, and I lasted there briefly and then went to food and wine, not because I knew a lot about food or wine, but because I had a really strong background in uh, understanding what the reader wanted, what they cared about the most. Right. So when you started at Food and Wine, what was your title or your initial role? I came to Food and Wine as in 1994 as the executive editor, which was a job that was created for me, and I did that role for six months. And then I became editor-in-chief. Wow, so, so quick. So it was really brief. Yeah, so, so, I mean, being there for 
you I mean over 20 years so a lot changed in that time I mean the internet was developed which is weird to say right it's sort of strange to say isn't it I mean there was a time before the internet oh yeah I guess there was I know it's weird I mean social media is also another big thing but just the internet alone I mean changing having I mean what was that like with creating food and wine now on a digital platform so when I went to food and wine there was I was in charge of the print magazine. And then over time, I added books, so I oversaw the books. And then, indeed, the website, which we launched with a phenomenal uh, recipe database. And so our first real um, connection with the users was about the recipes. And then we built on a lot of travel and a lot of wine and a little design and a little attitude. And to be fair, I think we did it rather slowly. It, the internet, though now it seems like it happened in a finger snap. Mm-hmm. Our growing, our audience online, uh, was not so speedy. We, um, but we spent a lot of time working on the SEO and really dumb, simple, basic stuff to connect and grow the traffic, and it's huge now. It is. It is. Well, I've always been a huge fan of Food and Wine magazines. Beautiful magazine. Amazing content. And your team, the team there, strong team that's been there a very long time. Um, well, before I get to the question like about moving on, let's, let's just track into the other components. Because then you have Aspen, Food and Wine, the classic. I mean, that is, is, that's an amazing event. I still think it's the creme de la creme of all culinary events what was your role with that I mean it was it it was did you did you launch that or it was already in production the food and wine classic in Aspen was launched before I got to food and wine but I would say the on the sales side Christina Gerdovich who was the longtime publisher of food and wine started out in the marketing department and she really worked on making that event the greatest culinary event in America. On the planet. You were going to say the planet. On the, on the planet. <laughs> the, in the entire universe and the unknown universe. Uh, but the role I played was choosing the talent. So who would the wine um, speakers be? Who would be doing the food demos? which was a lot of fun because that was the heart of the programming. But what Christina was in charge with, which was gigantic, was who are the sponsors, um, you know, curating the entire guest experience. I think one of the reasons, there's so many reasons that Aspen's amazing, but one reason is the content. Another reason is the town of Aspen and the way Mm -hmm. that the, um, the town is really a character in the event. And, um, and it's beautiful. It's so. It's just so. It's so, so it's just a happy place. It really is. <laughs> Whether you're eating, drinking, biking, you know. Yeah. But what a rafting! It's all good. Yeah. So, so, and then would you overlap with? I mean, with working with the magazine and working with, with the the events you do. I mean, how would you? I mean, and you discovered so much talent over the years. I mean, did I don't know with the like? How did you? How did you go about? finding talent and would you cross promote with between the magazine and the events and and the different aspects of food and wine 
the talent on stage usually was someone who was really, really well-known. And at the beginning, sort of 22 years ago, that talent often came out of the cookbook world because those were the stars of that day. So when I arrived, Julia Child, Jacques Pepin, Marcella Hazan were mm-hmm. all doing demos and huge presence there. They were also quite old. And we then were looking at who are the new stars. And we found the new stars, um, some in cookbooks, but many on TV and many in restaurant kitchens. So over time, where we looked for the talent changed and therefore the people changed. We always tried to figure out what someone would care about this year that maybe they didn't care about last year. So is it a year that everybody wants to learn about fermentation or is it a year everybody wants to learn how to, you know, cut up a whole pig or is it a barbecue year or is it not a barbecue year? So that, uh, that was always a fun part of it. And another highlight of the classic has always been getting together the food and wine best new chefs because the best new chef search would be a nine-month process, they would be announced, and then the one and only time those best new chefs got together would be in Aspen. And so, talk about talent scouting. That was the most mm-hmm. fun talent to scout, because you were looking at the future of American cooking, at least how we saw it. So, we were always looking for people who were breaking the mold, who were phenomenal cooks, but not they didn't have to be perfect. They had to be they had to have a way of thinking and a way of cooking and a way of presenting food that we hadn't seen before or that we were really dazzled by. And so being able to showcase that in the mountains was always an amazing opportunity. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a list everyone regards very highly and able to, to find amazing talent across the country. So, And that ties, uh, ties in a bit with, with the Chef's Club because you're bringing in chefs also, uh, I mean, worldwide chefs. But so let me get to that question. So what, after 20 plus years, like, why did you decide to leave the publishing world and, and go to Chef's Club? Well, the publishing world, as I said, had been my dream always. But the, I don't think the dreams have expiration dates, but it was definitely a 30 year dream. <laughs> and it's a uh, good one. I was and I was waking <laughs> up and. I published a book three years ago called Mastering My Mistakes in the Kitchen, and it was about the fact that I never learned how to cook, even though I've been deeply in the food world for 19 years at that point. And um, after I finished the book and it was published, I went on book tour, and I got out in the real world. And really, that was the moment that I awoke and said, there's so much going on here that I... I thought I knew everything that was going on because that's my job. But Mm -hmm. I didn't have the same sense traveling as an author as I did traveling as the editor of Food & Wine. And I came away from that tour thinking, I really want to try something new. I don't know what it is, but I want to try something new. And I'm fascinated by the nature of career transitions. And in the, the limited study that I've done... It seems that many transitions occur when you take a look at 
what you're doing, and it's not that you're unhappy with it. You just feel you have more potential to do something else. So if you have been happy, you look at things that are adjacent to what you're doing. And and so in my case, um, you know, looking at some of the things that were adjacent to food and wine uh, within the hospitality industry, I looked to Chef's Club because Chef's Club... The restaurant was created when the publisher of Food & Wine, Christina Gerdovich, and Starwood Hotels came up with an idea for a restaurant together in Aspen. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had so much fun putting that restaurant together in Aspen. And then the the concept was bought by the majority owners of that hotel because they had this phenomenal vision to grow it and put it all around the world and... And I really think that that's just the most incredible vision. So when I was looking at all the things that were adjacent to what I did at Food & Wine, I thought, here's something that's not only adjacent, but that I've had a hand in. Mm-hmm. And I think the people are so smart. And um, and it turns out that there was an opportunity there for me to, to join them and to help, grow, uh, to help grow the brand, or at the very least help do some of the talent scouting that I had done so much of at um, Food and Wine. Makes sense. (laughs) And on that note, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back and talk more about your role at Chef's Club now. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. handling paperwork after a long day in the kitchen? Of course you don't. That's what Shoebox is for. Created by two restaurant veterans, Shoebox is changing the way chefs and bookkeepers manage invoices. Here's Tony Iazzi and Xavier Mariez Carena on how it works. Take a stack of invoices um, and you can run them through a scanner that you already have on your printer or take a picture through your phone. You send it into your Shoebox account and the next day uh, by 9 a.m., not only do you have uh, access to that original invoice through the platform. As but an it, image. Or as an image, exactly. But it also populates the different areas of your operation that are important to your financial structure. So that means it'll dump into QuickBooks. It'll dump into your accounting platform. Shoebox works with any accounting software. By digitizing receipts and invoices, Shoebox helps you understand your purchases and allows you to make quick decisions. Chefs will be in like kind of a budgetary situation. It's like, oh, you spent too much money in February. Why? Like, well, okay, it's July. Um, what do you want me to do about it now? So it's an incredibly reactive system, and we're just bringing them up to date so that they can make better purchasing decisions the next day instead of the next month. Save time on data entry and get back to the business you love. For more information, visit shoebox.com. That's C-H-O-U-X-B-O-X dot com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Dana Cowan. She's the creative director at Chef's Club International and former editor-in-chief at Food & Wine Magazine and new host of Speaking Broadly here on Heritage Radio Network. 
So, Dana, let's talk a bit about your role now at Chef's Club. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of your culinary director, Didier Elena, and of Aaron Arispe. Am I saying his name right? Yes, it took me a good six months to (laughs) pronounce Arispe, but it's Arispe. Well, they came on my show a while ago, and yeah, I think I butchered his name on the show. (laughs) I like to call him Pocket Fork as his his Instagram handle. But um, anyways, they're, they're wonderful people, and... I, I love everything you're doing there. So, so what is your role? What's a day in the life? The uh, the role at Chef's Club is amazing because we create a menu that is 25 dishes from 25 star chefs, and the 25 dishes are delicious. It's basically having a Hall of Fame option for dinner, like Hall of Fame dishes. Danielle Boulud's, um Bass or Eric Repair's Crook Monsieur or um, Alex Guarnaschelli has a salad on the current menu. So if you could put to f- put together your absolute dream menu, this could be it. And the way that we work on that, it's driven by your good friend um, Didier Elena who creates the outline for the menu so that you as a diner have a seamless experience the goal is not to have each chef show off but in fact for you the diner to have the most incredible time and so the way that Didier thinks about the the menu is the flow of the dishes the size the scale the balance I've learned so much from him about how you put together a menu, how many dishes there should be on a menu, somewhere between 14 and 18. And he wanted to have a menu design that instead of having starters and mains and sides, it was one long flow, which I thought was such a good idea. First of all, it reflects a lot of what's going on in the industry right now, but it also is the way people want to eat. They don't necessarily want to eat something big, and they want to taste different things, and things don't need labels. I think for the longest time, the dishes we ate needed the labels. You needed to know it was a main course, and and diners still will ask, you know, like, what size is this, and I can't quite tell, and, Mm -hmm. you know... Do I need to order two of these? And But I love the flow that Didier created. And then he would think out loud, uh, well, I want a trout. And oh, the two of us with um, Aaron sometimes would think, well, what are the best trout dishes we've ever had? And who does the best trout? And, you know, what year was that trout? And is that something that is still on the menu? And some of the dishes that we run are still on menus, and some of them are dishes that, uh, you know, are not on a chef's menu at all. And that's an interesting balance, actually, because if you choose a chef's signature dish, it may indeed be something that they are still uh, serving at their own restaurant. And is that a good thing? It could be a really good thing, or is that not a good thing? Every chef has to decide that for themselves. Some chefs think it's great, and some chefs would rather have you take it a different dish. So working with Didier on developing the menu itself has been a lot of fun. And then working with the chefs, of course, and um, they have been so gracious and excited. I call or email and say that we would love to have their dish on the menu, and to the last person, everyone has said yes, 
Now, of course, that could change in the future, but it was such a great vote of confidence knowing that DA would be there for quality control. Interestingly, that we had uh, two chefs come in to do tastings. Well, three, actually. But it was the two pastry chefs. So Christina Tosi wanted to come and taste her dish. And that was great because, of course, Jared Sexton, our amazing pastry chef, was delighted to work with Christina and uh, meet with her. And uh, the other was Jacques Therese. And he wanted to come and work with Jared on the pastry. And I think it's because of the difference in the disciplines. Pastry chefs are so... um, Ridge is not the right word. I'm sure there's a nicer word, but... It's a very anal process, and you really can't be wrong by a degree or right. by a fraction in the flavor or by a fraction in the texture. Whereas the savory food, the beans, are much more forgiving. Right. So it's and like a science to the, the pastry. Precisely. Yeah. It's, the, it's, the, it's the science that I think, you know, they just wanted to double check. It's a personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Danielle Boulut also came, and uh, it was so much fun. He cooked his dish for us. And we got to taste it. Then our team cooked the dish, and he tasted it. Interacting with the chefs all the time is such a pleasure. Uh, So that's one piece of what I do. And then the other piece is working with Aaron on the visiting chef programming. This is very much like planning an issue of a magazine. Because if you look out over a six-month period, the same way within one issue, you would look at, you know, what's the popular story and then what is the sort of brainy, not too many people are going to get it, but the ones who get it are going to love it story. So if you translate that to events, yeah. what's the what's the populist event? To, um, tonight at Chef's Club, we have something called Asian Breakfast for Dinner. And we have Ivan Orkin from Ivan Ramen and JP from Attaboy and the Namwa Tea Parlor crew creating amazing Asian breakfast for dinner. This is my idea of a great time, and that will be really populist, fun. You know, it's it's not expensive. It's great. And then, you know, we'll have a two-star Michelin chef as a counterbalancer. We had um, Zayu Hazegawa, one of my favorite meals of the year, Aaron had been working on having him come into Chef's Club for, um, <coughs> I think, actually a couple of years. And this is the year that Zayu was able to come. And it also was the year that he was named one to watch by World's um, 50 Best. So yeah, um, Aaron's an amazing talent scout. And working with him has been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that makes sense, and 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 using and the similarities. I I never I didn't think of it that way before, but that totally, totally um, makes sense in in your experience and and relating it now to to Chefs Club. And I, I yeah, you've had across the board chefs from around the world and um, from the Michelin star to more casual places. So you're definitely definitely covering all that, and um, I look forward to coming back. Um, so many, so many good events. I could eat there every night. <laughs> We'd love to have you every night. <laughs> um, so before we take another break, let's talk about your new show. So you're doing a show in Heritage Radio Network now called Speaking Broadly. So how did you come up with this, and 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 why now join us? I mean, I'm so happy. Like I love doing my show. So welcome to hosting. Thank you. I love 
people. I love talking to people. I love drilling down and learning something. And it turns out that those are podcast hosting skills. <laughs> and what I've found over the last two or three years when I've been talking to um, talking to people, the most helpful ones, I'm sorry to say, have been women. They've been so generous, so thoughtful, and share these extraordinary experiences that are both um, business experiences to learn from, so that it's lessons in success, but also how they've overcome challenges. And I spoke to all these women because I w wanted to go through a, a transition going from media, which I knew very well, to something, and then that turned out to be Chef's Club. But I didn't know that at the time. And having these conversations and meeting these really generous women, um, Lisa Sun from Project Gravitas, who did more for me than people who I'd met and known for a year, did more for me than people I'd known for 20 years. And I met these extraordinary people. And I wanted to share that experience of opening your mind and having new ideas about what you could do next on a show. So I hope that when people tune in, they learn both the lessons of uh, a woman's business life, but also if in the back of their mind they're thinking, I don't love what I'm doing, but I do love food, I want them to listen on that level. Like, I'm this type of person and I could do that job. And I wanted to really help uh, help people who are looking for transitions and also embolden them. One thing, in just the couple of shows that I've done, people who are strong and are successful, sometimes they have that underside, this anxiety, and every day they wake up and say, I'm not sure if I can do it. Now, when you're on the outside, you always feel like, oh my gosh, they're the most confident person on earth. They never give it a second thought. It's all so easy for them. And hearing stories where there's struggle but success I always think is empowering um, speaking to Amy Buchanan who's uh, at Spring Street Social Society she said this one thing that has stuck I mean, she said many things but one thing stuck with me in particular she was at Housing Works and she was she was running the one on um, I don't know if it's Mulberry but the one in Soho mm -hmm. and it was really really time-consuming. She really wanted to be an actor and a singer. And one day, she decided, even though she didn't know exactly how she was going to support herself, that she was just going to trust in New York. And this idea of giving yourself over and trusting a place or trusting an intuition, it just gave me a full pause. It's really quite the trust exercise because your livelihood is the thing that's at stake. And she quit. She told um, the coffee guys from, I think it was Intelligentsia, who provided the coffee at Housing Works that she was leaving because she needed more time to pursue her own work. And they said, you should come work for us. We have flexible hours. We have this perfect setup for you. And 
I just I love that story, and I hope that I collect. You've had 128 yeah. episodes. Right. I mean, I I'm sure you've gathered incredible insights like that, and I hope you know 128 in there will be multiplied by 10. You know, a thousand takeaways. But that was one of the takeaways for me, and what makes the hosting so gratifying, but also I hope so valuable. Yeah, no, that's very well said. And um, I listened to your first show you did with Christina. You were so sweet. Well, I wasn't being sweet. I wanted to listen. I, <laughs> I and it was it was such a great first show. Um, and I learned stuff about her and about. Uh, that that I didn't know, and just the whole the whole angle you're going at, you know, it's 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 great, and so I will keep listening. And your show's what Wednesdays at twelve? Exactly, Wednesdays okay. at noon. Yes, noon. Okay, so people out there, you just you have a whole Wednesday lineup now. I, <laughs> I mean, you had before, but but we're let's start. Uh, now we're sisters. Now we're sisters. Now yeah. now Wednesday's a very strong day. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so. Um, We're going to take another break here, and we're going to come back, and we're going to play my speed round game and then talk a little industry news. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Dana Cowan. It is time for my speed round game. So what this is... I'm nervous. I'm nervous. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, not to be nervous. I'm going to name two or more things. It's an either or situation. You just pick your preference. I feel good about that. I'm decisive. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, good. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. <laughs> Without question. <laughs> Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Oh, chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? All-inclusive charge. All righty. A few more. How about writing or editing? Writing. Better food tour travel companion, Didier or Aaron? <laughs> oh, that's so funny because I, I travel with both of them together. I know. I don't want to piss anyone off, but. No, yeah. they're an amazing duo. They're like the same person. So I can say, you know, Aaron Didier as one. Okay. Uh, I, I, I see you guys traveling together and I get jealous because it looks like it's a blast. It is amazing. Didier's command of. 
Uh, but actually, both Aaron and Didier have an extraordinary command of culinary history. Didier can deconstruct every single dish that we eat, and Aaron can tell you, you know, the the history of any chef and where they came from, and you know. Uh, they are yeah. incredible dining and traveling companions. And they're also really easygoing and they're on time. You know, they don't leave you waiting. Um, oh. And they like to taste everything. They like to share everything. They could not be more fun to travel with. That's awesome. And they take great food photos, too. They do. <laughs> they like to share that way also. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. I like them both. I love cheese, but I like dessert more. Okay. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Awesome. That's the game. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Manhattan, so I don't think I could, you know, trade it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, 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 I live in Manhattan, so that's my choice, too. But um, some people think they're going to offend Brooklyn, being that we're sitting here in Brooklyn. But I don't, I think Brooklyn can take it. Yeah, I'm know? taking, I'm, I'm making a nostalgia <laughs> vote for Manhattan. Okay. Yeah. Good. When, the good old Manhattan days, yeah. yeah. Well, you were excellent at the game. Thank you so much. You know, you know, you do. You know, you know what you like. Okay, so industry news. Um, I picked this article out in Los Angeles Times. It was an op-ed piece. Trust us, you don't want a reservation at LA's hottest new restaurant by Karen Stabiner. So this this basically saying what's happening here in New York City foretells LA's future unless restaurant goers change their ways it's not a happy picture and saying that we no longer crave a a specific cuisine what we want is a place that just opened um I mean I'm I'm guilty of this I'm I'm part of the, the I'm always I'm always going to the to the new places, and I'm trying to go back to and uh, places I love that maybe I haven't been in a while. But this article is pointing out that if we don't start loving the places that have been around for a while and not just setting out to go to the brand new new place that's hot, um, these other restaurants are going to close, and and we're going to miss them. Yeah, I think it's an incredibly interesting point of view. If I put my food and wine hat, ex food and wine hat on for a minute, one of the things that we were always doing was looking at what's next. And media is obsessed with what's next. Social media is obsessed with the the now, but the now is essentially what's next. So I do think we've created this culture where something can be extremely hot and then extremely cold. And it's terrible for the restaurateur and the chef. Many chefs have sort of adapted to the new reality by doing concepts that are ever-changing. Chef's Club actually um, has a little bit of that built in because we changed the chefs. But I'm thinking of uh, Chris Shepard in Houston, whose new restaurant is going to have change built into it. And I think that that's a smart approach. Or what Karen says is, right, you need to go back to the places that you love or the places that are new need to look at ways in which they can create greater and deeper loyalty. And so they, do I have the answer of how to do that? I I don't know. But I think that most restaurants want to be around for the long time. They're not trying to get the quick hit. I was talking to Danny Bowen about this the other day, and he said his interest is not in building a restaurant for the year he wants to build the restaurant for you know 
10 years or 20 years or 30 years. And, and that's a different approach. And I think that chefs who came of age in the lightning fast, uh, it's hot, it's not era, will join him in this idea of how do I build a restaurant that is going to last for longer than the media second. What does that mean? What does that mean for the food? What does that mean for the decor? What does that mean for the way we treat customers? So I think it's a, it's a really interesting question and I think that there are seeds of the answers already and I and part of it of course is um, the diners and part of it's the restaurateurs. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, as as a publicist, I've worked with a lot of. I mean, new new restaurant openings in in sense as a formula, it's much easier to promote a new place because you know the media is going to want to write about the new. They always new, new, new. But I've worked with a lot of places that are older, and and it, it is more challenging. But I think I think um, no, I think that's smart. I think you have to look at the bigger picture and what what how you're going to make it for eight, ten years if, if that's your goal. Um, and, yeah, I kind of, I I don't know. I do, I, I like checking out new restaurants, though, and seeing what's out there, but I am trying to go back and, and celebrate the ones that I just want to support, good neighborhood places. And then there is the neighborhood to support the neighborhood places. Right. I think the question is, if it's not a neighborhood place, then what is it? So, I don't know, I think it's, complex yeah it is um the other article i had real quickly um bloomberg pursuits the title was 11 fancy food trends you'll face in 2017 by our good friend kate crater who i love from food and wine magazine now with bloomberg and um kate knows her stuff and so she she has these 11 11 trends for the year um to look for some of them, the, dom- the dominance of meat and artisanal butcher shops, um, the dominance of vegetables. And actually, she had one on here about charcoal with drinks. And I, somewhere out there, there's a tweet of mine from about a year ago that I noticed. I was in Thailand, and I saw charcoal in a bunch of dishes. And I was like, charcoal is going to start trending. <laughs> so I, I were right. I, I, I was right. And yeah. when I agree with anything I get right with Kate, I'm like, I'm like <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so... Um, I mean, are you, do you pay attention? I mean, do you predict trends yourself? Do you pay attention to these lists when you're when you're looking at what you're doing at the Chef's Club? I am interested in seeing what the trends are, and Kate is always spot on. I look seeing. I like looking at the trends list to see if I agree or disagree. Because if you travel enough and eat enough, you will have your own perspective. Some things ring true. Some things less true but for example one of my favorite restaurants in New York where I have gone back several times which is honestly one of the only times I've ever done that because I'm always moving ahead is White Gold which Mm. is April Bloomfield's butcher shop come restaurant in my neighborhood with Jocelyn and Erica as the and Christina um, as the butchers and the chef and first of all therefore completely badass women they're amazing um, but it's part of you know what Kate's talking about with, right, the, the, with meat. the meat trend it really mm-hmm. resonates you know I hear that I'm like of course because that place is so great and then I was at Curtis Stone's uh, Gwen in LA butcher shop up front beautiful beautiful restaurant uh, that with the centerpiece being a um, you know essentially a fire pit over which this gorgeous meat hangs and you know, I I like collecting points in a 
trend line. And so when, when I have two like that that are so extraordinary, I'm always looking for other ones to fill right. in. Right. No, no good points. I've, I've been up to um, White Gold. I had that chopped cheese sandwich, oh, which, yes. oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, don't go if you're on a diet, but, wow, it's one delicious sandwich. I haven't, I haven't had that yet, but, <laughs> um, but I've ogled it. Yeah, it's good. So, um, okay, so that's industry news. We're going to take one more quick break and then come back and we'll do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. Okay, so this week it's at Coffee Mania. Here's the rundown. The location, 1065 Avenue of the Americas in New York City. The concept, offshoot of a Russian-based chain known for coffee drinks and upscale American and international fare. The chef, Titus Wang. Why did I go? Because I was curious what the mania was all about. My experience. On an early Friday evening, I went as a walk-in. I was seated right away at a two-top on the banquette on the side of the room. Um, there were only other, a few other occupied tables there in the vast space at that time because it was early. Um, service was very attentive. The m- server explained the whole menu to me, which is a full-service restaurant. It's m- much more than coffee, as the name you might think by being called Coffee Mania because that is what I thought. So what did I get? Well, they do have fancy coffees. So I had a latte Singapore coffee with caramel and a unique lemon twist. And I had Wagyu carpaccio with fig, mustard seed, spring onion, and blue cheese. My take? The latte was kind of like dessert. It was delicious and had some fun latte art on the top. And the carpaccio was divine. It was really thinly sliced meat, just melted in my mouth. I thought it was delicious. The ambiance, modern, spacious, and relaxed with a pastry counter and semi-open kitchen in the back. I'd say it's perfect for coffee or a meal, solo or or with friends. Interesting tidbit, Chef Wang previously worked with Chef Anita Lowe at Anissa, and Anissa is a beloved New York City restaurant that just announced that it's going to be closing after 17 years in the West Village. Personal fun fact, I was fortunate to recently dine with Anita Lowe and some friends at Tim Ho Wan, which is the world's cheapest Michelin star restaurant that just made its New York City debut. The cost at Coffee Mania was $27. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, it's right across from Bryant Park, so a very convenient location. Their website is coffeemaniaNYC.com. There you have it. That sounds great. I can't believe you went to Tim Ho Wan. I'm dying to go. Did you wait two hours? 
No, my friend, I was also with Piché Ong, and oh. he had a connection there. Because everyone, I posted a picture, and people are asking me if it was worth the wait. And I'm like, I didn't have to wait, luckily. But it was it was fun. It was, um, yeah, it was it was, it was was a good meal. But I, I don't think I would wait three hours. Yeah. Oh <laughs> I think it has to die down, the hype. I don't know. Anyways, it was good. And um, it's time for the final question. So we're going to ask another question to Allison, who's coming on next week. Uh, Allison Arth, she's the founder of Salt and Row, which is a hospitality consulting company based in San Francisco. So, Dana, what would you like to ask her? Well, inspired by Tim Hoan, I would like to ask uh, the most extraordinary cheap meal that she's ever had. Because, you know, you often can have an extraordinary meal and it costs you a pile of money, but sometimes the best meals or the best restaurant experiences can be like $10 and under. What is that? I love that question. It's a great one. Yeah, no, it's true. It doesn't have to be $200 a person to have a great meal. So I will ask her. Great. Thank you so much for coming on my show. I love having you. And I, I just... I've I've always been in in awe of you and your career and just knowing you these years through food and wine and just um, I'm a fan of yours and you're so lovely so thank you so much for well, taking the time and thank you for um, inviting me and also sharing all of your secrets from being the great great host that you are <laughs> on um, your very own show for so many successful Aww, episodes well thanks so much yeah you get to see behind the scenes at Heritage Radio exactly. with, with my show right. so um well, my guest today has been Dana Cowan. She's the creative director at the Chef's Club International, and she's the host of Speaking Broad- Broadly, which is a new show on Heritage Radio Network on Wednesdays at 12. You could check it out at heritageradionetwork.org. And her website is chefsclub.com, and you could follow on social media at FW Scout and Chef's Club New York. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. Check out my Facebook pages, All in the Industry, and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes and Stitcher. And I would like to thank my new engineer today, Vitor, who's just started with us here at Heritage Radio. Great to have you on board. And thanks, everyone, for listening. I'll be back next Wednesday with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. I'm Sherry Bayer. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. But the seeds